0: around the lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Oh, as soon as Jack Grealish was made captain, the script was written. In lifting the Championship trophy, getting his boyhood club to the Premier League, he will always be Aston Villa's Jack Greenwich. Hello and welcome back to the Gathering the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. As always, I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined by Mark.
1: Hey guys, what's going on? It's Mark Jarobi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillamarkPGH. we got a lot of stuff to get to this episode. Didn't get to anything last week, but because there wasn't really nothing going on at the end of the transfer window, so we're going to get into that, get the Bournemouth, get the Leicester, and get into uh, what's going on going forward.
0: Yeah, gather around. Um So the last game we covered on the podcast was the Watford result. Um, and since then, Villa obviously hosted Leicester City in the second leg of the Car- Carabao Cup semi-final. And, you know, the the overall feeling before that game was that Leicester would want to figure Villa out after drawing one all at the King Power and kind of break us apart, I suppose. Um and it looked like that was going to be the case in the opening 10 or so minutes. You know, uh, Oyen Neeland had to make uh, more than a few important uh, and acrobatic saves from James Madison shots. Um, and, he, you know, a bit later on, he, he made an outstanding save from uh, a Yuri
1: Tilleman shot. How impressed with you overall with, with, with Neyland were you? No, I was massively impressed, and I, I know you're you're pretty uh, big on Nyland as a keeper and his progression, how he's gotten better since he's come through the doors at Aston Villa. Um, for me, I didn't think that he had this kind of a performance in his locker. I mean, we've seen him have some some really good performances, but this was kind of otherworldly to me. Um It just the the agility he has, almost knowing like exactly where the shot was going. He was he was commanding his area really well. There was actually points in time in the Leicester game where you saw him, you know, pointing out the defenders, you know, for set pieces and corners and things like that. I loved to see that so I, w- I was pleasantly surprised with it and I would hope that any time that his uh, number gets called again that he's able to do the exact same thing. What did you think about his performance? I know you probably had to be super super happy with it.
0: Yeah I was I was impressed you know um, we, I wrote towards the end of last season about um, some of the messages he was receiving on social media you know um, on Instagram and stuff like that there, there was some some big negativity Um that he was receiving and some of the comments really weren't very nice. So I wrote about how, how, you know, as fans, we have to do things to, to be positive towards players, mental health rather than, be, rather than be a detriment to it. Um, and I got a message from Neil Cutler, the, the Villa goalkeeping coach. And, you know, he, he waxed lyrical about Neil he was, he was saying, you know, he's highly rated at the club, but he's, um, he, he's, i guess you know one one for the future um with obviously tom heaton uh, coming in you know he's not young by any means but norlander's got probably a good number of years um left at the club and you know it was just really good to see the kind of tides changing and the opinion changing around around norland um and I think ov- overall, I'm, I'm just really happy that he, he managed to kind of sway opinion a bit. You know, there were people calling for him to start against Bournemouth over Pepe Reyna.
1: Yeah. And I, I, Totally understood those those, uh, claims for him to start over Pepe Reina because obviously he had such a great game against Leicester. But, like, you're right about the mental health of players. Sometimes we don't think about that as as supporters, especially when we're a little bit more passionate about our opinions. Um, So, like, all the grief you see players get with them being mentioned on Twitter and, like, really nasty comments or really rude comments, it's just really unnecessary. And, like, yeah, you're right. Nylon's got his fair share of it since coming to Aston Villa. So, for him to kind of, you know, put a fist in the air and and be like, you know, I'm here. uh, I've bought into what my role is I understand what my role is for the moment like just let me do my thing have a little bit of faith in me and, and you see what happened I mean the, his his performance against Leicester I think if 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 he's not in that goal even as, as, for as good as Pepe Reyna is if Nyland's not in that goal I think we lose that game and that's how important the saves were that he made throughout this entire contest
0: Yeah and he should really be, be in goal against uh, Man City in the Carabao Cup final um, you know he's He's more than proved himself in the cup. You know, it's it's shades of Shay Given uh when we got to the FA Cup final. You know, he he made some great saves to get us um towards that final, but obviously we, we kept him in there and ended up losing quite heavily to Arsenal. Um and obviously Nyland uh played against Man City relatively recently and and conceded six goals and you know that's going to be that's going to be at the forefront of people's minds but anything can happen you know in in one game of football so i i do think that he deserves that spot for for the the final
1: I think he does too and like again it's no knock on Pepe Reina it's just if if you think there's nothing in in Nylons head that says I want to avenge what City did to me um you're you're out of your mind so like him having that little bit of fire um you know he's going he's going to have to have some poise against City but just like you said I'll take a one off game against any team in the world cuz you just never know what's going to happen so uh, for me a cup final is a brilliant thing obviously um it's going to be a great day out at Wembley for the for the Villa supporters that are traveling near and far to go to, to go see that game. But I do like Villa's chances. Uh, I I'm not one of those people that are just like downtrodden, like oh we're going to face City and we're going to lose six and It's going to be embarrassing. Um, if that's the case, so what? We got to a final. It's still something you can hang your hat on. But I don't I don't think it's going to be a six nil like game i i think villa is going to put everything they have into that to to try and you know lift the league cup that has honestly eluded them for a little while now you know lift a piece of silverware, especially getting promoted back to the premier league in their first season i mean yeah the league's the the 100 uh you know thing you need to concentrate on but i'm telling you what man i I'll, I'm, I'm so up for this game and it's it's a ways away
0: yeah and let's get back to the game um the the Leicester game, you know, it didn't really take long to for Villa to turn a few heads. Um, it was, I think, the 12th minute, and Jack Grealish pushed the Leicester defence back before executing an outrageous ball that bounced just right onto the oncoming tar- uh, Matt Target, and uh, Target swung hard and low, and the ball managed to find its way past Kasper Schmeichel. Um and really, Target's been been one of those players that has consistently improved over the last couple of games. Uh, quite quite similar to Douglas Luiz, uh, and and I guess Marvelous Nakamba as well. And you know, th- there's calls for for people saying you know he, he's possibly England's uh, or one of England's better left back choices going into the Euros. Um and really, Target is probably turning into one of Villa's most important signings. Uh, in in the summer, at least, um, you know he, he's got a real good chemistry with with Grealish that's really visible to see. But he offers a different dynamic than than Neil Taylor does.
1: Oh, he offers so much more than Neil Taylor. It's not a knock on Taylor. I just think he's a defense first, no nonsense fullback. Um, that those kind of fullbacks are kind of starting to fade away a little bit in the modern game over the past three to six years, but in the case of Matt Target, I do think he's, he's absolutely proved his doubters wrong in the past couple of weeks, almost you know the past month. Um, I think moving to the different formation uh, definitely helps out. I've said that in previous podcasts as well, but there's no denying that there's some kind of flourishing chemistry between him and Jack Grealish on that left-hand side, and um, Dean Smith is definitely telling his players to utilize that and to get the ball to that side of the field as much as possible. Um, I I, and it, it's working and that that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is like when you have a plan like that and it's consistently working as a coach you're going to want to keep exploiting that and you know you, you've you seen it happen to multiple teams where they know it's coming but they can't stop it um, the, the overlap underlap from Target starting to get a lot smarter he's not overrunning it he's not under you know undercutting or just stopping he's continuing the play so I, I think it's a really really promising thing I'd look out for it to happen a lot lot more you're going to see it until the end of the season I feel but I I, you, you can't really say anything wrong about Target. I mean, a lot of people think that he's a little lazy in, in his tackles and, and some of his challenges, but I think that comes with him being a more offensively-minded player. How, how do you feel about Target? Do you think that he actually might be one of Villa's most important signings so far this season?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and if you if you compare him to Frederick Gilbert on the opposite side, you know, Gilbert's probably a little bit more defensively astute, but less of an attacking threat. Um I think if if Gilbert and Algarzi could could get the chemistry that that Jack and uh, Matt have got at the moment, then you know we could be a real force down either wing. But a lot of our our game at the moment is is coming down that left hand side, um, so we we need these little bits of chemistry to kind of start showing now as we edge into the latter stages of the season.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, and it's it's not going to be. I mean, you talked about with El Ghazi and uh, Frederick Gilbert. I mean, I th- I think they do have a chemistry. I just don't think it's as it's as looked at with as much promise as with Target and Grealish, because of the fact that El Ghazi kind of he drifts in and out of game sometimes. Sometimes they're a little bit more defensive. Um, not to mention like, and I, I've noticed this over this past season. There's a lot of really good right wings in the Premier League, like a lot of them. There's a there's just a tonnage of them. So I think it's a little tougher for for those two on that side. So to deal with um players like that defensively and also you have to think about the genius of jack grealish you know he's not an easy player to mark you don't really know what he's going to do i mean you know what he's going to do but you, you don't really know how to stop it then you have an offensive-minded fullback behind him who's not afraid to bomb forward and at that point in time all bets are off so i i think that you know it's it's definitely something dean smith knows about it's definitely something he's utilizing and now now it's just up to the opposition to stop it
0: yeah um uh- there was a little bit of a VAR drama, uh, that ten minutes from from half time, um, and and James Madison uh, had an attempt, and and it kind of hit Esri Um VAR checked it; there, there was no handball there. But the, in the replay, it showed that in in Madison's first attempt uh, towards goal, it hit Nakamba on the arm. Um, but for me, he's he's not making his body bigger. Uh, you know, he's he's hands almost coming up to protect his face. Um, you know, th- there's an argument for and against, of course, but I think uh, it would have been it would have been harsh in some games. in In this game, perhaps it's the wrong decision that that Leicester weren't awarded a penalty. But you know, that's the way the cookie grumbles. Some teams have been um, you know rewarded via VAR, and some teams have been. I guess unrewarded.
1: Yeah, you can say that, you know, um the the VAR issue with a lot of people is it almost seems like it picks and chooses whenever it wants to be called upon. Uh I I I can say it tone blue in the face. I think that'll be reworked at the end of this season. As far as in the combo handball and the lead up to the Ezri Kansa claim, I'm not uh, the man was just trying to protect his face, and Marvelous Nakama's is not a, a large man by nature, so of course he's going to protect, you know, his vitals as, as, he, as he sees a shot coming towards him. So, I mean, I get it that if uh, if a Foxes fan wants to put this specific instance under a microscope, it's going to look like he threw his hands up. But I mean, everything looks always in your favor when you slow something down and if you actually slow it down yeah it does look like he put his hand up to just kind of like knock the ball away full speed that's not the case so I mean I, I I can understand why Leicester fans would be felt a little hard done by this but nah for me it's that's that's never a call
0: and Villa went into the changing room at halftime, uh, leading with a 2-1 aggregate scoreline. What did you make of the first-half performance? And, you know, uh, why are not we seeing more inspired first-half performances like the one we saw against Leicester?
1: I mean, it's it's a tough one for me because there's definitely an issue going on with Aston Villa this season to where you get a Jekyll and Hyde performance. Um, and, and it's it seems like... It seems like they don't get up for games they should and they get up for games that you don't expect them to. And that that's a it's really tough watch. Um I mean obviously, you know, you support the team no matter what. And I don't I don't even know where where the solution comes from to be honest with you. I don't know if they were just up for this because of, you know, Leicester beating us in the league the way they did and then, you know, you feel inspired by the 1-1 at, at King Power. You come back to Villa Park, you kind of want to take the game to them a little bit. But I mean, honestly, this probably has to be top f- Four to top six first half performances we've seen from Aston Villa this season. And, and there's definitely a, a question of, of why isn't this the case? Why don't we come out the blocks like that a little bit more often? It's almost like it shocked Leicester when it happened. So, if you know, and there's a really, really good team this season. Uh, and in the event that, you know they're the I guess you can say the benchmark of good teams that you'll play um, why why can't you have that kind of first half performance against the other top 6 to top 8 teams so it's it's a little baffling it'll make you scratch your head a little bit I mean do you have a solution or do you have a reason why maybe sometimes we just come out in first halves and look absolutely flat and then other times we, we look like you know it's it's just a really really solid team I think it's probably I
0: don't know if I think it's confidence I think it's concentration um... But you know they, they they had a game plan against Leicester and they executed it perfectly. I think generally, you know the the big the big thing is that we need to, I guess. It's, it's, it's the, it's the laps, lapses in concentration that, that are the, the big issue for me. You know, uh, obviously I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but you, you, you see in the Bournemouth game, you know, you've got like Courtney Hawes, who's given the wall, the, the ball away, like relatively, uh, rel- relatively often. And, it's those kind of lapses in concentration that, you know, teams are punishing. But for for me, you know, if we can beat Leicester, then on our day we can beat anyone in the league. You know, maybe not the Man City, maybe not Liverpool, but, you know, we could beat Chelsea. We could beat Man United. We could beat uh, Tottenham, uh, which is, you know, fitting as we're playing Tottenham next. But... That, that's the thing you know that i think there needs to be a bit more confidence and a little more composure as we go into games
1: yeah i i agree with you um i it, it's just so tough because on on one side of me i try to be as unbiased as i can and and like when it comes to Villa, when when you have a really good first forty five minutes like this, it makes me wonder like, hey, they talk about the debrief all the time. Like you know, players get debriefed after games and they talk about how the game went. See what they did right. See what they did wrong. Man, I would play this first forty five minutes every single time you're in the in the in like the film room basically, um, and just be like. Okay, and I'll, I get it. every team's different. Every team lines up different, different formation, different skill players in different positions. Believe me, I I, I get the whole thing. It's a lot to unpack. But if, if Villa plays that way with that kind of intensity and that kind of concentration that they did for the first 45 against Leicester they can make a serious serious you know run here to get that 40 to 43 points that everybody's talking about and stay up in the league um yeah I don't know like I I watched the game I mean I watched it live and then I watched it two other times and the first 45 minutes I'm just it was almost like I was back with my hand like covering my mouth like this this is almost like something that you need to cash in on you need to figure out how to do this against different teams so I'm hoping that's the case going forward um you know they're they're having a little bit of trouble um beating teams that they should and then they give you know teams they shouldn't be to run for their money a little bit so it's a little frustrating but for me you're probably right it's just probably a concentration thing a little bit more being you know being switched on a little bit more but man it it, it was something to see for me it really was
0: in the uh second half you know that th- there was the continued pressure uh, down the left-hand side of the pitch, and it kind of looked to take Leicester by surprise a little bit. Um, you know, the consistent link-up play between between Target and Grealish uh, it was, it was very hard for um, Pereira and um, oh, I can't remember who was on the right-hand side. It was Aozie uh, Perez. It, it was very hard for them to deal with that, especially as Aozie Perez didn't seem too willing to trap back and help Pereira. Um, but you know, it, it, the game was going well and, until uh, every concert saw yellow in the in the fifty seventh minute after he petulantly threw the ball away. Um, you know, decision went against him. He throws the ball away, stopping Leicester from resuming play quickly. And obviously, at at first glance, that means concert would have been banned for the final. You know, he picked up two yellows across both legs, but uh, it was it was announced shortly after the game that the second yellow doesn't matter in the case of dissent. Um, so generally, you know, it, it's it's a positive that he's, he's still there. You know, he's he's kind of coming to his own a little bit during the last couple of games. Is another one that's that's steadily improving. Um, Whether it was through desperation or invention, you know, Grealish found himself on the opposite wing a bit later on in the game, and he sent a killer ball into the six-yard box for Samata, who just couldn't get a touch on it. Um, and that was probably the 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 highlight of Samata's um, Villa debut. You know, I thought he had a decent game. He was getting himself into good
1: positions. What did you think of his debut? I mean it 's going to come off as a little soft because what we just went through with Wesley, um, but just just give this guy some time um, I, I think a lot of people thought he was just going to come in and light it up and uh, i i I think you got to give him time it's a it's a human thing um, but i i was i wasn't upset with his performance against Lester. I thought that he was trying to do what he could. Um, I think that might be magnified and a, a little bit more of of a light shown on it because we haven't played with an actual like striker for a while, for a long time and it's no disrespect to indiana vasilev he's just incredibly young and he does make darting runs forward and stuff like that but in the case of Samada, like you're actually having him like push back you know the defensive line of the opposition. That's really nice to see. We haven't seen that in a while. Um, you know, his he, he was showing signs of having a little bit of hold up play in his locker, which is nice. Um, you have seen him win a couple uh, like headed efforts. You know, the ball's getting kicked out the back and everything. So I, I think it, I thought it was a pretty good debut from him. I wasn't ex- I wasn't expecting him to you know you know find the find the back of the, of the net. I was just like, hey, just get him out there, get him acclimated with these guys, uh, get a little bit of chemistry going with Jack and um, some of the midfield members and stuff like that so i i I thought he had a pretty good debut were you looking forward to anything from him did you think that he was gonna you know step onto the pitch and all of a sudden have this like savior kind of thing around him because there's a lot of people on twitter thinking that he gets in and all of a sudden he's just gonna start firing in the back of the net
0: i just wanted him to give a good account of himself and i think i think he did that well enough um obviously the fatigue hit him a little bit um i don't think he played a proper game since december um so he was substituted off around the late 60th, late 60. I, I don't know how to, how to word that if I'm honest. Um, sometime between the 60th and 70th minute is how I'm going to put it. Um, and you know, for as good as Villa looked, they were playing some really kind of spellbinding football at times. I was really impressed. Um, but. They would concede in the seventy-second minute through a uh, Claudio Ionaccio equaliser. It was an unfortunate goal to give away. Um, you know, Harvey Barnes looked like he was poised to shoot the ball on the left-hand side, but he he kind of—it's where you know people will argue it might be a skewed a skewed shot. It might have been a cross, but it found Ionaccio beautifully at the far post, and uh, you know, Nealand was there was nothing he could do and at that point i was ready for penalties um and i felt very very sick
1: <laughs> i remember talking to you we were pretty pretty uh um in touch the through the entire game and i, I i'm pretty sure you remember you were like i i, th- I think i might be sick <laughs> um i i didn't think I didn't think Leicester were going to score the way that Villa were playing in the second half as well. I thought they played well in the second half. They were at least back and Leicester up and they, they were causing a lot of problems for him in the midfield area, which for a team that that likes to play a little bit more narrow, um you don't really get to see that that happen often. So I thought Villa did really well. I don't want to say the goal was against the run of play. I just think that I Le- Leicester knew they had to kind of, you know, part the language, They had to get their shit together a little bit. And I think I think they did that. Um but yeah, I th- as soon as this goal goes in, I'm like, there's got to be somebody for Villa that's going to step up. There has to be. And I'm sitting there just praying and wishing on it and praying and wishing on it, talking to you. We're both nervous as all hell. I can feel your nervousness from you know 3,000 plus miles away. I'm sure you could have felt mine, but I, mean, I don't think any of us were prepared for what, what we were about to see.
0: No, um, you know, Anwar El Ghazi made way for Trezeguet in the seventy seventh minute, um, while a flagging Frederick Gilbert exited for Ahmed El Mohamedi just seven minutes later, and you know, no nobody could really foresee what these subs would mean to Villa, um, and you know, in the ninety third minute mere seconds away from the full-time missile, El Mohammedy drifted into the into like a central position and just produced the most wicked cross. And I say wicked not as in like the slang term, I mean like it was a wicked like it was dead devishly curling cross towards the back post. And uh you know, he finds his his countryman, Trezeguet, um at the back post, racing past um Ricardo Pereira out of position. And he just fires the ball on the volley. First time past Casper uh, Schmeichel. And, you know, Villa Park erupts. We're back to Wembley. And, you know, it, it, it's it's just a sign of how far the club has come. You know, no matter the outcome of the final, it's a third consecutive season of going to Wembley. We might as well call it our second home.
1: You might as well. I mean, what what a moment this was. I mean, for me... I it's it's a little tough because to me immediately my first thought is Trezeguet just put himself in Aston Villa lore for the, the for the rest of his life. And regardless of how that final works out, I still believe that. Um but yeah, it, it's just what a ball from El Mahamedy and then even more so for Trezeguet to get his get his feet, you know, figured out a little bit and the first time volley it right in, it, it was a mammoth goal. The noise that came out of Villa Park, I mean, you you don't you don't have to be anywhere near near the stadium to be able to to hear that noise, um, even even through a television. It was absolutely immense. Uh, I, I've talked to multiple people that went to the game. They're saying it, it was one of the most happiest times that you know they've had at Villa Park over the past couple of years. And there's been some pretty serious moments that have happened. So I, I think I'm a, a la- absolutely elated for Trezeguet. Um, I, absolutely elated for Villa getting back to Wembley. I, it, it's a beautiful thing. But you're right. It might as well be the, the the second home. And you're seeing you're seeing all the memes and come out like oh, Villa fan goes to Wembley for the game against Man City bartender says oh the usual but it might as well be like it might, it might as well be for for being there three years in a row um yeah regardless it's going to be a great occasion it's going to be a great day for all the Villa fans and you know if they if they end up you know finding a way to win this thing it, it's going to be that Tresgate goal is going to be something to remember for a very 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 long time
0: and obviously uh post goal you know the celebrations from from the the coaching staff Tyrone Mings jumping into the arms of uh of all of the coaches uh, and then the uh, pitch invasion and you know people are warned about it and people aren't going to listen I don't have an issue with it personally but uh something that I, I was really happy to see was you know uh, Tre- Trezeguet was hoisted up onto onto people's shoulders um but the thing I was really happy to see was that Oya Nealand was mobbed um and, it, it, you know, we spoke about it earlier. It's just how far he's come. You know, he was almost outcasted before his injury just because of a few mistakes in the Championship. And now, really, he's one of the sole reasons that we're in the Carabao Cup final. And it was just so great to see him jumping around with the fans and just getting absolutely mobbed. You know, it, it might not be the nicest experience for the players. You know, I, I'd be quite intimidated if I had, you know... 50 to 60 fans circling around me all going oh mate mate you had a cracking game blah 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 but it it, it just making me happy to see that you know all the fans kind of congratulating him and you know there's some iconic pictures that have come out you're like you know you, you've got Tyrone Mings walking uh through the crowd and it almost looks like you know the, the savior and all his disciples kind of thing
1: yeah, I, there was just so so much that happened after the game. I mean, as far as the pitch invasion, like obviously, like uh, on Twitter, the the official Aston Villa account was like, "Hey, just a reminder, you know, whatever happens, don't go on the pitch." And like, I think they pretty much had to do that, knowing that if we won this game, that it was going to happen. Um, there was a lot of opinions about the pitch invasion itself. Um, there was a couple of people uh, that wanted to say, you know, we're Aston Villa, we don't need to you know we should be getting the cup finals we sh- it shouldn't, we should make a big deal about that pitch invasion um i consider those people fun police uh i th- i think they're the same kind of people that you know just want to pick and choose when when to have those kind of opinions and that's fine if if that if that's how you felt about it but this <laughs> the way that it happened you throw all of all of that opinion out the window you know if we if we held a 3-0 lead you know, from the twenty-second minute on, yeah, fans might be a little bit more subdued. That happened almost in the last what, last four or five kicks of the game, maybe. So, of course, you know, the, the emotion's going to overtake people, and they're going to want to get onto the pitch. Um, as far as the celebrations with the fans, I would be absolutely terrified. I, I think that's just me personally. But it was nice to see that all the players like took it well. Um, you said like Nylon on the shoulders. You know, Tyra Mings was in the air. Saw a lot of other players. You know, having having their uh, their fun with the fans, and you know, giving them handshakes and. Pats on the head and stuff like that. It's a beautiful thing to see. That, that That's what football is about: is to have that kind of camaraderie with the supporters and the players. You know, it's all all for the club. um But yeah, I, I just I I think that it, it was such a fantastic moment. There was no way with how that how that Trezeguet goal scored in the timing of it that people weren't going to get on that pitch.
0: Absolutely, and you know more than a few storylines emerged after the win. um You know, it was it was the highlight for a lot of people's week. Um, and then, obviously, we had the impending uh, closure of the transfer window. You know, we'd, we'd brought in Pepe Reina on loan, Danny Drinkwater on loan, and uh, Mabuana Samata. But there was a lot of outgoings um, towards the end of the window. You know, you had Scott Hogan, who uh, wrapped up his underwhelming loan at Stoke City, only to be immediately dispatched to rivals Birmingham City. You, you know... What do you make of Hogan's move? Do, you know, does it immediately signal he'll never play for Villa again? Could you see the move being made permanent? Obviously, we're all well versed with the financial woes of the Blues, but you know, he he's, he went on to score on his debut, um, so it could it could be you know a a big move for Hogan, and it could potentially get his career back on track.
1: Yeah, listen, I've said it before. I think Scott Hogan's probably a really nice guy. Honestly, I I do from from what I've seen from him and heard from him through interviews. He seems like he's a he's just a genuinely nice person. Um I'm I'm going to try not to laugh about him going to Birmingham City cuz uh when I when I really sit down and think about it, that man's got to get his career back in order. He doesn't he, you know, that's 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 the first thing for me. Um you know, and then then the Villa fan side of me goes, "Haha, you went to City." <laughs> so I I I think it's it's important for the player. I think it's not so important for Villa. I don't think he'll ever put on a Villa shirt ever again. I I think that's it for him. Um, And we're probably going to take a major, major loss on what we paid for him, and that's okay too. We tried it; it didn't work. It just—he just fell out of favor too much and too often. And when he got his opportunities, he didn't show what he was about. He didn't do the things at Aston Villa that made him a good target prior to joining. And when you do things like that, you're—you're not—you're. Most of the time, you're not going to get looks. You're not going to get opportunities if you can't snatch the ones you're given. So, I mean, it's it's a little upsetting for me because I thought that he was going to really, really flourish here. I thought he he was. I mean, I've written about it. I I mean, I got to I got to put my hands up and say I was wrong. I thought he was going to be, you know, a striker that the Villa was going to depend on for years to come, and he, he, it just never materialized for him. Um, do you think he actually stays with with City, or do, do you think this isn't the end of the Scott Hogan Aston Villa saga?
0: Off the top of my head, I can't remember when his contract's done. It might be the end of this season. It might be the end of next. Um, but, you know, I, I know that um, Blues were after a second striker. Um, it was it was Bright and Kobari from, from Wolves. And that deal fell through uh, towards the end of the window. And then uh, I think it was Renat Dashadov or something, something similar. Also from Wolves that they tried to pick up. But that... Uh, move also failed to materialise, so I think they were willing to pay around two point one million for Nabakaru. So you know, if they could stump up a little bit more, perhaps we could see Hogan stay at St Andrews. Um, but obviously, we, as I've said, we were well versed with the work, the financial woes of of the Blues. So I I don't necessarily think he'll stay there. Um, maybe in another you know player swap deal. You know we, we, we're towards the end of the season we were um, the bookies favourites to sign Jude Bellingham so potentially you know we could see a a Gary Gardner hotter deal come through again with a bit of money going uh, the Blues
1: way um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be mad about that move. I, I just, like I said, man, like taking the villa hat off for just a second and think about Scott Hogan. I just, he he needs to get regular football and it it, it needs to be somewhere. I I I don't know. It's it, it, and it, another thing, it was just tough for me to see like everybody like kind of like laughing at it and like not really thinking like the implications of of the man as far as like a mental health standpoint like he can't be happy with how it turned out you know what I mean so I don't I don't know I hate to ramble about it it's just something I think about and I'm just like man that, that went to that went to the crap real quick for him well, with one of
0: our players uh, leaving Stoke City, another went on to join. And Villa's club captain, James Chester, departed on loan to the Bet365 Stadium, which has pulled at the heartstrings of a fair few Villa supporters. Um, it, it's not a move kind of born of spite, a bit like the Hogan deal. Um, you know, Dean Smith wax lyrical about Chester, and, and really, you know... Um, from what we've, we've we've seen in in the article that uh, the Villa View and the Athletics Dan Bardell wrote for us um and what he's aware of you know it it was a deal that was a kind of thank you to Chester for for everything that he did for Villa and give him the opportunity for more game time um and an attempt to solidify, solidify a place uh, for Wales before the Euros you know it, it is sad to see Chester go um whether or not he will get enough game time at at Stoke whether or not he'll return to villa um in any capacity at all um that I I believe that is a uh one year option for for villa so it might not be the end of of Chester especially if we fail to stay in the premier league but um you know it is it is a bit of a a sad moment you know what what were your some of of your favourite Chester moments in a Villa shirt
1: I've had a couple, man, but like honestly, all mine were de- defensive uh, contributions, uh, minus the goal against Bolton, where he, he runs behind the uh, the goal and he's swinging his arms around like crazy, and you know, the, the support's going absolutely mad. Uh, that, that was probably my favorite as far as an offensive contribution, but like I love center backs that aren't afraid to get dirty. They aren't afraid to slide tackle. They aren't afraid to put in a hard tackle. So, like, I feel like almost every time I've seen James Chester walk off a pitch after 90 minutes, or even if he was subbed early. He's got like the mud and dirt stains all over his knees and on the back of his shorts. And it, it, like, he comes off the pitch and he looks like he put on a shift. You know, he's drenched with sweat. You know, the, the, it, the, uh, the, um, kits completely and he, he like put everything he had out there. You have to have respect for defenders like James Chester and what he does, you know, for a club like Aston Villa. It's not an easy job to, to wear that armband. And he not only did it with pride, he did it with purpose as well. So, I mean, th- this for me, it is, it is a sad thing. It's almost, like it hasn't really sunk in yet that we don't have James Chester, even though he's been out with injury and stuff like that. He's just a wonderful personality to have around the club. You know, I, I'm really hoping he goes to Stoke, and I'm really hoping he does well for him. I hope he gets into the Euros. You know, he's still close enough with his family after this move. So I, I just I, I don't know. You look back on the championship years, man, and you look back at how that how that defense was sorted out, and even though it was Steve Bruce, it was at the helm. James Chester put in some immense performances for Aston Villa and it can't be understated. Sorry to rant about it, but it's just it it, it does pull my heartstrings a little bit.
0: No, I completely agree. Um, another move that materialized for a Villa player, uh young lion Jacob Ramsey signed a new contract with Villa before joining Doncaster Rovers on loan. You know, this is a great piece of business for both the club and Jacob. You know, Jacob's very highly rated. Um, and it gives him the opportunity at at, you know, men's football. You know, he's played Uh, probably collectively about 40 minutes for the Villa first team but this will give him a better opportunity to play and develop Um, and as well as this uh, Rashawn Hepburn Murphy was recalled from his loan at Tranmere and sent back on loan to Derby County from what I'm thinking and from what I've heard this is a way of getting him off the books I don't think Hepburn Murphy has a future at Aston Villa anymore I believe he will... um, go on loan to derby county. Um initially when in their under 23 setup he may get promoted to the first team, but um I believe his contract is is out at the end of the season and you know it's whether derby want to take take him on um or whether you know he finds a club elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and it's tough for him because I I, I think that he's just a, a smaller-bodied striker, and he's going to grow into that. Obviously, he's young still, but I think he's a smaller-bodied striker in a system where Dean Smith doesn't really want that. He wants someone who can get up in the air and compete for ball, someone who can hold up the ball. And we've seen it when when Murphy would feature in early cup ties and and things like that, or even in preseason. He he got he's got knocked off the ball fairly easily, and it's not a knock on his game. He's more speed and pace and acceleration and quick cuts on the ball. He's not he, he just. To me, he doesn't come off as the prototypical striker that Dean Smith's looking for. It's a shame for him, but I I have no uh, worries about him getting his career on somewhere else.
0: No, absolutely not. Um, and the final move of the window was Villa actually signing someone and welcoming a depth option uh, in the forward position by signing Borja Baston on a free transfer from Swansea. Uh, he had uh, six months left on his on his contract at the Liberty Stadium, um, so Villa have basically taken that last six months on. Um, you know that and that's I guess what I think there's um, you know I, I can't remember I can't remember what I read, but there's a reason as to why Swansea were just happy to to have uh, Villa take on the last six months. Um, you know he's 27 years old coming into the prime of his striking career uh you know he's a product of the atletico madrid academy uh he did spend most of his time there on loan um scored i think 23 goals for zaragoza in uh, 2014 and then i think 18 for Oibar the season after which which uh, prompted his move for around 15 million to swansea um he started this season really well for Swansea. Uh, I think he had five goals in in the first month of the season and then he kind of lost his place. And, you know, Villa fans were were overly vocal about this signing, calling it underwhelming, but, you know, it's a position we need to, to strengthen in and it's relatively risk-free. Um, it, you know, you can't really complain. It gives the opportunity of, of Borja to, to prove himself. Um He's he's got a lot to prove, and you know, there's there's then the option there for Villa to go. Okay, you've proved yourself. We'll give you a two year contract. We'll give you a three year contract, or you know, he might not prove himself and he'll go off to Pastures New. It is relatively risk free, and we'll be paying. I I believe we'll be paying his his wages that he was on at Swansea. So that's around forty five to fifty thousand, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I I was a little um taken aback by the uh by the reaction from some of the Villa faithful um when the news came through about, about signing best. And I, mean, I don't know. I think people still thought we were going to get go out and get this big-time striker and this almost kind of like semi-household name that's had this great scoring record. Um, it's just a spoiler alert. We don't have the money and we don't really have the resources. And Aston Villa at this moment in time is not really a destination for someone to get up and move to, to a new club, regardless if it's in England or not in England. It's it's just a really slippery slope for me that some people thought that that was going to be the case, and it wasn't. And, and being under no illusions this is a depth move this is not a this is the guy move you know we got the guy and it's samada so let let bass like if he's if he's going to get any kind of game time just get behind him you never know what can happen i mean he's shown he he was in in a really really good uh patch of form in august and i know august is a ways away and it's it's a what have you done for me now um business but if if he's going to get a, sh- a showing and he and he gets a you know he gets some game time and shows what he can do again just like you know Regan just said he's either going to go to new or he's going to get a contract i just think you couldn't really hang your hat on the fact of having Samada and Keenan Davis and Indiana Vasilev be your striking depth i think you needed one more person you know Indiana Vasilev's still relatively young so you needed somebody else who's maybe a little bit more you know a little bit older a little bit more experienced and this is what you're getting again it's a risk free thing i don't see why people were so upset said about it um maybe i'm i, I don't know I, I i'm under no illusions of where aston villa are in football right now but it seems like a lot of the villa fan, you know supporters are um and it's not a knock on them man ha, have your opinion villa is a massive club and everything but you know right now they're struggling a little bit in the premier league and it's going to be hard to bring in players of a certain caliber
0: yeah and you know he he brings up that that brings in that kind of backup option um, and obviously tonight we've we've had the news that keenan davis was playing in an under 23 game and has subsequently gone off injured clutching his hamstring again um you know initially you'd think this would be motivation for keenan davis to perform better to try and keep his place albeit maybe on the bench but uh, it looks like in our next game unless keenan makes a quick recovery that that uh, Baston will be on the bench
1: yeah and i i mean i'm I'm just hoping that he he makes a couple of villa fans eat crow a little bit i mean it would it would be a little bit storyline for him to you know replace Samada maybe Samada you know doesn't have a not not a bad game just you know he doesn't score anything dean wants to freshen it up a little bit he comes on and scores a goal that would to me that would be you know absolute elation because of just how poor the reception was from the from the villa faithful but you don't know until it happens i mean it's it's a sad state of events for keenan davis it seems like every time that we see him and he he shows a little bit of flashes of, of brilliance or shows what he can do it seems like he always finds a way to get injured shortly thereafter so it's a it's a disappointing thing man i'm hoping keenan's all right though
0: yeah i completely agree with that uh in the past weekend villa faced bournemouth and it wasn't really the performance that the fans were hoping for uh you know to put it bluntly villa looked like a totally different team in the first half and and not for the better um right i think it was the 35th minute uh Bournemouth Francis produced a crucial block to deny matter a Premier League debut goal. And shortly after, Tyrone Mings was booked for a needless challenge, which ended up in Aston Villa conceding. The free kick was knocked into the box before Francis put a ball back into the box as it was headed out, um, which was headed down into the path of Philip Billing, who was the villain in the re- reverse fixture earlier on in the season, um, which allowed the midfielder to bury the ball into the bottom left corner. Uh, And then in the 43rd minute, Douglas Louise conceded a free kick on the edge of the Villa box, which was cleared poorly and came back in with a shot that was parried poorly by Pepe Reyna into the path of Nathan Ake, who buried the ball. Um, You know, masters of our own downfall, really. You know, two free kicks, two goals for Bournemouth.
1: Yeah, and I believe I read something going into this game that Bournemouth has, I think Newcastle's the only team that have scored more... Uh, balls from free kicks not saying like you know free kick directly into the goal but like you know results from them having a free kick opportunity oh man i think for this first half man when it rains it just poured uh villa just it just seemed like a big lack of concentration to me um you can see what they were trying to do again i think they were trying to expose the left hand side of the pitch uh with with jackie Grealish out there doing what he does best i just it just wasn't coming off and like even some of the defense just seemed like real shaky so i I don't know if it was it's such a weird um a weird paradigm between the highs of the Leicester result and then the lows of the ultimate result from the Bournemouth uh, fixture so I, I don't know man like it, it was just it was kind of weird to see it was kind of just like what the hell are you guys doing out there and like, I, I hate feeling like that but it seems like I felt like that on more than one occasion this season I just think it was, it was just lack of concentration maybe a little bit of a lack of will which isn't good to see coming off the uh, such a big result against Leicester.
0: Yeah, uh, six minutes after the second half, Bournemouth were reduced to ten men as Jefferson Lerma picked up a second yellow card for a foul on Jack Grealish, and the resulting free kick provided a decent opportunity for Bjorn Engels to head home. Uh, but the Belgian headed over the bar and took a punch to the face for his troubles. Uh, VAR checked for a possible penalty, but it wasn't given. Do you think this should have been a penalty?
1: I think it should have been a penalty. I've been in bar fights that I didn't get punched in the face that hard. So, for me, I definitely think that it, it should have been a penalty. I don't know what they were looking at. I don't know what they thought. I I, te- I mean, to be honest, I don't even really know where VAR falls in the landscape of that, of if it was you know, a deliberate attempt to play the ball or if it was a deliberate attempt to punch Ingles in the face. I don't know how that works. But for me, that seemed a little, a little more than just a player trying to play the ball. But that, uh, it's just my opinion, though.
0: Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I think the worst thing about this game was that you know, there was the hope Um, Mabuana Samata scored on his Premier League debut 20 minutes from time as uh, Jack Grealish played in Keenan Davis who was strong against the challenge before getting a shot away that ricocheted up into the air Uh, Samata scored his first headed goal of the season and Aston Villa's First headed goal of the season with the rebound effort after reacting the quickest. You know, it's really great to see him get off the mark so soon for Villa. You know, two games, one goal. You, You can't really complain.
1: No, I don't think there's anything to complain about there. And like I, I was saying earlier against Leicester, I, I wasn't expecting much from him. Honestly, didn't expect much from him in the Bournemouth game either. I, I thought it was just going to be get him out there, you know, gain some chemistry, figure out what players' tendencies are. You know, you can go through all the niceties and training and stuff like that, but it doesn't really compare to having you know actual live game time. But I mean, to, the, to see Salma go get off the mark and, and score a goal, that that's great for Villa, and that's that's all positives, even in an underwhelming performance such as this. And I also just want to point out, I love the fact that he. Even though that he knew that was his debut goal, didn't run off and celebrate, immediately went to go get the ball, immediately went back, you know, for the kickoff. I love that. I think that shows exactly where his head's at. He just wants to succeed. That's an amazing thing for Aston Villa Football Club.
0: completely agree. You know, it was a massive game for Villa to have an underwhelming performance in. And it's, you know, one of those six pointers that are so very vital in this league. Um obviously we've got the winter break now which i think will probably help us um you know we're building up momentum and then we've lost it with the of game so i would think that the break will help us recharge those batteries rather than then going you know losing the momentum and going on like a downfall or a landslide kind of thing um Recently, Christian Perslow sat down with Villa's new media channel, Villa TV, and in a 10-minute interview, he packs a lot of noteworthy quotes. Um, but really, he details that the series of unfortunate events against Burnley that saw Wesley and Tom Heaton sustain season-ending injuries obviously forced the club's hand in the market. Uh, he also states that... Uh, you know, League survival is the main focus for the remainder of the season even with the League Cup final on the horizon um, as well as speaking highly of the academy and the appointment of Mark Harrison uh, with Wes Edens and Nassif Suiris obviously looking towards the future and wanting to invest in that future as well as the uh, appointment of Enia Luko as the sporting director of Aston Villa Women obviously you can go and listen to Perso speak himself on these topics um, and there's more obviously on the Aston Villa website um, and we had a a couple of questions sent in. Um One from Preston Petrie, who's a massive Villa supporter from San Antonio in, te- in Texas. And he asked, where do you see the 13 to 15 points we need coming from? And who have been the three worst teams in the division so far this year? Um I'll let you answer the 13 to 15 points one, and I'm going to answer the three worst teams. And I think they're Brighton... Norwich and West Ham
1: that's not a bad shout um I'm gonna look a little deeper into the uh, schedule here I'm gonna pull it up on my phone uh so the next game is against Tottenham I think I think that could go either way I'm not sold on Tottenham being prepared to deal with Villa down the left hand side that's maybe a little spoiler alert for the next time we have a podcast but we'll see what happens um I think we can I think we can beat Southampton um Sheffield United is going to be a tough one. I think, I think we're kind of in the minds of Leicester now, so when that game comes across on March 9th, that might be a little bit of an interesting tie. Uh, I think we'll get something against Newcastle. I see us losing the Wolves. see us losing to Liverpool. Um, Man United might be a shock. Three points for the Villa as well. Um, obviously, on uh, April 25th, I'm looking for a big three points at home against Crystal Palace because I'll be in attendance. That might be a, a much much bigger game than any of us are thinking about. Um, Everton's another one that can go, uh, you know, either which way. Arsenal, you never know with Arteta and West Ham. I mean, that might be a massive, massive game as well. I don't think it's over just quite yet. I think people are starting to panic a little bit. Um, for me, I, I think there's still points to be won and lost. I think teams are going to drift in and out of form. I think Villa's going to be one of those teams that drift in the form. Let Samada get a little bit of game time, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But I'm still staying woefully optimistic, as always. If, if you're a listener of the uh, podcast, you'll know that I always try to put the uh, optimism on a little bit. So where do you, uh, where do you think the... Um, what do you think for the points do you, do you think any of these uh, teams that I just mentioned do you think we actually got a chance against them
0: um, I think you know the likes of Southampton Everton um, yeah we, we've got a chance at, at points there um, you know Arsenal more than likely going to be a draw the way that they're playing this season um, but really, um, obviously we, we, we had another question as well and this kind of links in with what I'm about to say and that was make me feel better about this upcoming schedule from Richard BK on Twitter. Um, and unfortunately, I'm not going to do that. I think it's going to go all the way down to the last game of the season and I think it's going to be between us and West Ham and whoever uh, you know wins that game is gonna stay up. It might be the case that Villa just need a draw from it. Obviously it's away from home, but that means that West Ham are gonna be under all the pressure from the home crowd. Um so we'll we'll have to see. Um but yeah I do think it's gonna go right down to the wire.
1: Yeah, I I'm I'm hoping not cuz I don't know if my heart can take that. But um if if by some miracle we we find, you know, a way to string three or four wins together and like as like again, if you look at the schedule it looks really really daunting and it looks like that's not going to happen. But in the event that this team, you know, strings three, four wins together and then a draw and you know, I don't know. Again, I'm staying I'm staying super optimistic about it only for the fact that it's no fun being negative all the time. So uh yeah, it's like just just get the three points of Palace and see where we are from there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I think I think regardless of, of, you know, it going down to the wire or not, I think, you know, we just need to be behind the team. Um, you know, the last, I th- is it what, 13 games? These last 13 games, we need to be the 12th man, the 13th man and the 14th man. Um, and just really get behind the players, regardless of results, regardless of the position, because... Yeah, as I said, I do think it is going to go right down to the final day. And I think that's probably the best time to end this week's podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please give us a rating or a subscribe or a review on whatever platform you are listening on. Uh, look out for some of our social media videos um, you know, detailing little bits of this podcast. You know, If you enjoyed it, feel free to share it. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Villalamp on Instagram, under, uh, at Under a Gaslit Lamp, on Facebook, forward slash Under a Gaslit Lamp, and you can keep up to date with all the latest villa news, opinion and happenings at underagaslitlamp.com.
1: Thanks for listening, guys, and up the villa.